Modern Times, the making of Latin Quarter. They come to rehearsal in which the lead singer obviously doesn't really know what he's doing. And then they want a photo and now suddenly a band. I don't know why these guys stuck around. OK, if you come down to my studio, I won't charge you any money. And I'm, let's see if we can get a deal with it. And if we get a deal, then you owe me. We took his drum, to be honest with you. We, were, we took revenge by taking drums on that tour, so he didn't have any drums. How come you started writing these songs with Mike Jones? Oh, that's a good question. Jaffa won't go with that, because he's written... Da -da -da -da, da -da -da -da, and, and your words have to go... Da -da -da -da, da -da -da -da. <laughs> they can't do anything else. I like this podcast. No, no it's, but it's true. Can we end it there? Because Steve's, head, Steve's head's getting too big for the room. Steve, you were so much better than you thought. I, I know. Yeah. So much better than I remember. Hello from London. This is a podcast series about a very particular album, Modern Times. It was the first album by Latin Quarter, the band celebrating its 40th anniversary. The album is called Modern Times, yeah, with lots of interesting lyrics and stories behind the songs. Latin Quarter were hugely successful in the 80s and 90s and are best known for their social critical lyrics, original lyrics, and also beautiful melodies. So we are here at the Rose Bowl Youth Centre and the artists are present. OK, this is my microphone. My name's Steve Scaife. I'm a member of Latin Quarter, believe it or not. I'm Richard Wright. Um, I used to... I was a founding member of Latin Quarter. I haven't done it for a while, but I'm back <laughs> for this momentous event. And I'm Steve Jeffries, uh, or Jaffa. And, uh, yep, I'm a keyboard player. And... And I'm Mary. I'm hanger-on. <laughs> yeah. Well, funnily enough, Mary was there right well, early on, as we're, as we're going to hear. So. <laughs> All right. The band has always had some very faithful fans. Well, they're not so much fans, they're really friends of the band. And you know what we could call them? We could call them Latin lovers. Right. <laughs> Latin lovers, okay. I think, I think that's a good idea. So they're no fans, they're Latin lovers. So we've got Martin Klaus Fischer here, and uh, Karen Hutz, uh, Michael McNeil, and uh, Roger Richards. So welcome from the band. It's great to have you here yeah. in London. Good Hello. The 40th anniversary of what we are asking. So what exactly happened this year, 40 years ago? Well, it seems I'm the only person who can remember. <laughs> We're all getting very old, you know. I mean, it's very difficult to remember these things. It was actually a rehearsal, the very first band rehearsal. OK, where did that take place? It, it took place in a, in no, somewhere in North Axon, you know, one of the, the nicer parts of London. And um, the thing about it was, I mean, for me, to be honest with you, it's more like an audition rather than a rehearsal. Because... For us, you mean? Yeah, I, I was auditioning in front of you two and the other two. Because the thing is... The band was a bit artificial because what, was, what had been happening is that, that Marcus Russell became our manager, was actually going around record companies with, a, with tapes of demos saying there's a band. And they were saying, oh, great, let's, let's hear them live. And we, we didn't have a band. There was the three, the three of us and Mary in, in the studio. We'd done some demos, but um, no band. So we argued a bit, but then eventually we decided, OK, we'll get a band. So Richard had a friend called Gillian McPherson who knew a rhythm section who were actually playing for Annabelle Lamb. Do you, anyone remember Annabelle Lamb? Well, some people nodding. <laughs> yeah. Well, she had a hit. So they were, uh, and we went around, played the demos, and they agreed to come to rehearse. So I'm there, not really thinking of myself as much a musician. I had played with people before. Yeah. But, but friends in, in Liverpool. I mean, they, they were good players, but I wasn't actually full of it. And I'm, I'm playing in front of these two, Jaffa and, and Richard. Yeah. Uh, for a start. Okay. 
So this was the, the very first rehearsal. The very first and rehearsal. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to talk about stuff leading up to this first rehearsal. Well, this so what had you been doing up to that moment, that rehearsal? I think you and Jeffers, we, you were big friends. You'd been working together. Yeah. Well, Richard and I have known each other for <clears throat> many years. <laughs> we went to school together. Even um, in Liverpool. Yes, and I'd, I'd known him from, well, you know, since in, from Lincoln, in actually, Lincoln. Lincoln. Richard was always a musician. I mean, ever from young age, he was the guy who played the guitar, not me. And then yeah. Jaffa and I were writing songs for chapel music. But mm. I, the thing is that I'd, I'd met you through yeah, Richard, obviously, absolutely. because I, I met Richard in Manchester. Okay. Because uh, we, um, we were in a couple of bands together oh, in, in Manchester. And I was looking for somebody to write lyrics for songs. Uh, because I was looking for a sort of publishing deal um, and things, and Richard said, "Well, Steve writes song, uh, writes lyrics." So at that time, Steve was more a lyricist well, than not, not just more a lyricist. In my <laughs> totally one hundred percent, I wasn't allowed anywhere near. In one of the demos we did, I'll tell you this story. One of the demos we did, I sang for the first time, yeah. and they took my voice off. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, true. Really? And Jaffa, actually, Jaffa was very different. Matter. He rang me up and said. Um, um, I got something to tell you. Um, um, you know, um, um, lots of arms. Do you know, I don't remember this either. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Do you, do you remember it? I don't remember specifically a demo where your oh, voice yeah. was taken off, Steve. Oh, I, yes. I can't believe we'd ever do that to you. <laughs> uh, well, you did. Well, how did they tell you? How did they tell you? No, he rang me up. Jaffa rang me up. And he, he blamed it on the A&R guy, which is probably true. Yeah. Because I've been actually I've been he's, trying to. I've he been, said you were rubbish. He did. I tried to sing like Brian Ferry. It was a song that. Was, uh, was it the Chimes at Midnight? No, it wasn't the Chimes at Midnight. I can't remember what the song was. And of course, you know, I, I, terrible. Well, so this wasn't a Latin Quarter song. This no, was no, one no, of the songs right. that we were writing. Oh, yeah, one of the songs. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what it's called. It will come. Well, I can't remember okay. many things now. But, but you wrote that song. It's probably I think in the wrote meantime. the lyric. But you wrote the lyric. It wasn't right. in the meantime, no. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, so we were writing these songs together, but I was exclusively yes. um, a lyricist. Exclusively, okay. but you kind of had a deal with a record company, writing no, songs not, for no, 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 chapel music. Publishing company, it was publishing company, company. publishing yeah. company, yeah. not record company. Yeah. yeah, but it's also true that in, in those days I didn't know the difference between a bass drum and a snare drum. I mean, li literally, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know where a bass drum went. So I was, it was good for me. I was learning in this okay. process. And you weren't playing the guitar then, or just a little bit. No, just I House of the Rising Sun kind of stuff. Jaffa was, Jaffa was very dictatorial when it came to music. Was, Jaffa was writing the music. I think he very often presented you. It was. The opposite way round, I think, to yeah. probably how you write Latin Quarter songs was yeah. Jaffa was writing the songs, writing the music, mm. and then yeah. presenting that to Steve, and you were writing lyrics to... Uh, Jaffa might have a, a, a... Quite often you'd have a, a hook line or... No, a I can say as well, because it is quite interesting, in that one of the songs that we wrote was actually a song that we'd written for the band that me and Richard were yeah, in. In the, in the meantime. In the meantime. Yeah. So that was an... I'd, I'd got a publishing deal based yeah. on on tracks that I'd been writing for a, a non-vocal band, it was an instrumental band, called uh, Inversions, and that was the band that me and Richard were in, and we moved down to London because of... Uh, so that's... And that's how we, we actually got started and, and doing things in London. Right. So that, so that song was written for the Inversions, and then Steve... Wrote the lyrics to it. That was the first one, yeah. Okay. But, he, but even I remember this, you might not remember this, but so Richard gave me the, the, the tune and I wrote lyrics to it, but they didn't fit the tune. I was, I mean, I, I was completely free and, and Richard Romney said, ah, I'm not sure how this works. I said, oh, no, don't worry, it does work. <laughs> so we got together and, and I sang what I had. He went, well, Jaffa won't go with that. 
because he's written da 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 da, and and your words have to go da 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 da. They can't do anything else. Richard, do you remember any of this? Yeah, I do, I do, because I personally, in any case, I hate stuff that doesn't scan well. You know, you say it didn't scan well. No, it didn't scan at all. That's the problem. It could be the other way around. You have some lyrics, and they have a certain rhythmic, you know, meter. They they do a certain thing, and and the music should scan with them. I, I take it when people kind of bend things in that's, that become rhythmically, metrically unnatural. And that was your, your introduction. <laughs> we we may not be going on tour now. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's terrible when but the lyrics get changed around, and it's Dave. It's terrible. It's absolutely oh. terrible. <laughs> but we, we, thought, we thought that song would have been perfect for Randy, Nel, Randy, Randy Crawford. Oh, for Randy it Crawford? It would have been, actually. Okay. But for some reason... <laughs> if she'd sung it. If she'd have sung it. <laughs> if we'd have sent it to her. I don't think it ever got sent to her. Yeah. I don't think. Richard, what had you been doing up to that point? Just doing music, finishing school? Yeah, I, I studied music at the Music College in Manchester, which is where I met Jaffa, as yeah. you said. Oh, yeah. And then we came to London because we were getting a lot of gigs in London and we got sick of driving up and down the motorway, so we just moved. And, All right. And we did this for a bit, and then that kind of petered out and, and Jaffa was started doing things with Mary and then this you know, got him involved with Steve. So that was it, really. OK, so we're working ourselves towards the very first rehearsal. Mary, just tell us, what was going on in your life at the time? Jaffa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, was it Jeff already? Were you a couple already I met Jaffa and I met before yeah, yeah. he met Steve. Yeah, yeah. yeah Jaffa, and I, Jaffa and I met, I was 17. Yeah, OK. But obviously only when I'd moved down to London. Yeah, so yeah. we'd already done the inversion thing and then we'd moved down to London. Yeah. And then within about a few months... Six I'd, months, I Yeah, I'd met you. I met Steve. I actually came to an inversions gig. Mm-hmm, I okay. won't tell the whole story, but I went to an she inversions was a gig, <laughs> and and that was that was it. We met, fell in love, yeah. whatever. Um, but then I was I was studying musical theatre, and oh. I was a singer. This was an instrumental band. Yeah. I was into you know ABBA or actually you know the Stranglers or all or whatever was sort of pop music around that time. And Jaffa had no interest in that at all. You were into Chick career and <laughs> and you know esoteric jazz and so I kind of seduced him (laughs) into pop music nice with which song did you seduce him (laughs) it wasn't just one song it was like a bombardment (laughs) (laughs) I I, we we, you you introduced me to a lot of jazz and I introduced you to to basically to pop music and so we started writing songs together in our little flat in wood green writing uh-huh. stuff together and then oh that's very romantic you know sitting at the kitchen table well i don't think the flat in wood green was very romantic was it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we started writing songs and then obviously neither of us were really any good at writing lyrics and that's presumably when jaffa asked for a re- recommendation from richard and yeah. and so then and i was usually i mean me steve and jaffa were in recording st- stuff mm. all the time yeah, yeah and then i brought yona and carol along mm-hmm. because i went to college with yona and carol yes so we started writing songs or you started writing songs for me yona and carol yeah so, you had a separate uh, band and that so, did sort of get a record deal not really a record deal not really that's the kind of the situation just before the first rehearsal and then yes. this project came up steve joined the whole project. Now, who, whose idea was it? Basically, you mentioned the manager. Whose idea was it to have to, a rehearsal? Which song did it start with? 
what I remember is this is I, Steve was busy with Jaffa doing what they just were talking about, and uh, one day uh, he rang me up and said, "I've been writing some songs. Uh, I'll I'll send you a cassette." And this cassette yeah. arrived in the post. You know, so I put it on, and and it was it had on it probably half the songs of, on Modern Times. Mm-hmm. It started with Modern Times, yeah, song, yeah. and then there was Radio Africa and. America Beginners, definitely. America Beginners and some other things. And I thought, what is this? Like, it's come from outer space. How, how, how's, he, how's he done <laughs> how's this? How's he done it? How's mm. he done that? Because, <laughs> you know, I, I may have taught him a couple of chords when we were at school, but I had no idea he could do this. And so he, he started, he hit the ground running with being a fantastic songwriter from day one. It was, it was really strange. Most people work their way up to that level of, of yeah. excellence, don't they? But it, but I think the, in, the interesting thing is, for, uh, and this is probably completely wrong, so you're going you're gonna to okay. correct me on this. Try. But I think you had an, an idea in your head of what music should be there, whether it be guitars or the keys. Because I remember you, you talking to me in chapels one day about uh, chords for America for Beginners, and you had an idea of where you wanted it to go to. And okay. I, I think I, I sort of showed you a chord, but you had that idea. It's just that technically you couldn't sort of... You couldn't do it. Yeah, it must be very innate. I mean, you, 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 it was up, it was there this this innate gift, and it's somehow you know stuff, and you don't know quite how you know it, but you, but you sort of know. Yes. I like this podcast. But, <laughs> but it's true. Can we end it there? Because Steve's yes. head, Steve's head's getting too big for the room. Steve, you were so much better than you thought. I, I know. Yeah. So much better than I remember. It's interesting what Jaffa said about those chords because I, I sometimes think I don't know how I wrote this because it's an E flat. Yeah. Which is a weird chord. Lots of black things on that piano. You know those black things on the piano. Yeah, and I don't know. We, we play it now in D, which is a much easier um, key for say guitar. So I, I don't know how, why it happened. Really, yeah. Some of it. It's a good thing not to know anything about music. Yeah. Well, otherwise, you'd be inhibited by your knowledge. I, f- yeah. I found this with other people. You know, you just sort of do something. Ignorance is bliss. No, it is. I mean, if if, if you know, there's so many great people that are, I don't know. Jimi Hendrix, John Lennon don't know one note from another. But if, if they'd been taught a lot about music, could they have done what they did? No. So you didn't even consider yourself a musician at the time? No, I mean, not really, no. <laughs> and um, so it's going back to what I said, so that, that first rehearsal felt like an audition. Yeah, all right. It did now, feel like an now audition. Now we're in the middle of that first yeah, rehearsal. Very, very nervous about it. I mean, okay. we had, sorry, but I had played in the studio bits and pieces with them, which we recorded some of the demos. But, yeah. but to play live, yeah. you know... I mean, because I mean, although I knew Richard and Jaffa, I mean, ja- what Mary said, Jaffa is pretty hard taskmaster anyway. Taskmaster <laughs> is that the word? Um, She's nodding, and then two nodding people, away. Two people who I didn't know really, okay, and who were professional musicians. I mean, right. well, they were professional musicians as well. And yeah. That was that. W- it was nervy. Can I just say that one thing I don't think we've covered yet? Yeah. We're already at the first rehearsal. We've talked about everything else we did before what bands we were in and yeah. other projects but what i haven't found out yet and i'm i sort of know but i'd be interested to hear is how come you started writing these songs with mike jones oh that's a good question mm-hmm. well, well that's, that's the, the thing we haven't covered yet how did you get to start well, writing well, the songs well, at all <laughs> and well, you've never talked about this have you <laughs> well the the, the the money i got from um the, the the deal that jeff and i got with chapels i bought a, a porter studio yeah, you know those little tech four track things. Um, but as soon as Mike Jones heard I got a deal, he um, he started just sending me lyrics, 
And at first, I was very resentful. I felt he was muscling in. I mean, I really did. I think, I've got, the, I've got this deal. You can leave me alone kind of thing. But the problem was, and this is absolutely true, I just realised he was better than I was. Mm-hmm. And, I, and at first, I resented it. Yeah. And I wanted not to think about that. But after a while, I couldn't. And so, so what was happening was every week something would come through the post, you know, be one or two lyrics. I mean, all that modern time stuff and a lot of the next albums just used to come in the post. And I'd, I'd go downstairs, get my coffee and my cigarettes and go upstairs and read them and think, my God, this guy's good. Pyramid Label. Pyramid Label was the first thing. Yeah. That was the very first song. Mm-hmm. So you read the lyric and... Yeah. Actually, Pyramid Label arrived before I got the Porter Studio. Yeah. I did have a little tape recorder. But what happened, I took it, I was going to see my mum on a, it was in hospital, and I took the lyric and I started singing it to myself. It's not the most complicated tune, actually. But when I'm seeing my mum in hospital after an operation, I'm actually singing the tune. And I'm on the train. Don't forget the tune. And I ran home and ran upstairs. Uh, put you the tape on. into your iPhone. And, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is before phones, Jaffa. This is not. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. We're at the first rehearsal. How yeah. many songs were you doing? Just Probably four or five. Four or five. But, the, I Rick. mean, I, I remembered one thing. I don't know if... if I'd, I'd said about it being an audition, how nervous I was. One thing I do remember, and I'm, I don't know if you remember this. When we played Radio Africa... If you're playing rhythm guitar on, on, on a reggae thing, you're playing on the second or fourth beat. That, that. When Ricky counted it in, I started playing one and three. So it's, well. I don't remember that, but yeah. I, can, I can imagine the look on his face. Oh, yeah, but no, you, no, you, you looked at me. You looked at me like this. <laughs> no, no, don't do it, don't. Uh, but, but see, the thing is about Richie, he was a... Very well, well placed in the whole reggae scene yeah. in London. Yeah. He played with Dennis Bovell, Linton Crazy Johnson. Yeah. And he must have thought, what the hell is this? <laughs> but you didn't say anything. No, he, no, he looked at me and, and, just, and, and, and played loud. So I, I, I did. Yeah. Yeah. You played loud. Well, so I played loud. Him, yeah. the but the thing is, and why I remember this, on, the, on the, one of the gigs, actually the gig in Harlow, I remember it clearly, I did the same thing. And Richie looked at me then thinking, oh, <laughs> so why they came back after that first rehearsal, I've got no idea. So why did you? <laughs> no, no, oh, no, 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 we, they, were, no we, we were stuck with him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you were stuck with him. Was that with? Was that Steve Greetham? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just trying to remember. Yeah. Because there was a lot of pressure. In fact, I don't know if you remember this, you boys, but after the rehearsal, Marcus wanted to go back to the, the record company, say, "Here's the band." Yeah. So we actually had a photo. Do you remember the photo? Okay, no. they don't remember. They're older than I am. See, they don't remember something. <laughs> so. Again, I think in these guys, they've only just met us. They come to rehearsal, which the, the, the lead singer obviously doesn't really know what he's doing. And then they want a photo, and now it's suddenly a band. I don't know why these guys stuck around. In fact, it's pretty rich. He's not here. I'd like to ask him. I will ask him on the next door. Why do you stick yeah. around? Yeah. Because the pressure for them to, say, get involved was, was quite intense and not, not commensurate with actually what they were probably getting out of it. How much pressure was there for you? I mean, did you absolutely want this to work? Or yeah, did you just so. kind of, yeah, if it works, it works. If not, no. Well, I th- for, for me, the whole Latin Quarter thing at certainly the beginning was a bit of a, a, a dream, really. I mean, or something slightly unreal. Because, you know, I wasn't a kid who, you know, used to stand in front of the, te- the mirror with a tennis racket pretending to be a, a rock star. You know, you read about Johnny Marr, always wanted to be a rock star. Yeah. I mean, I had nothing. So, uh, um, 
I don't want to say this too loud, but I was probably in my early 30s or late 20s when this started. Early 30s, actually. So it's a very late age to start getting involved in, in bands. Yeah, it's going to be that late. You must have been 20s. Yeah? 20s. Yeah, let's go. I was 21. Because I was only 14. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so the whole thing is a bit unreal. And yeah. so I kind of knew I had good songs. I mean, I kind of knew that. But yes. I wasn't... There's always a, there's the imposter thing we all have all the time. I certainly had the imposter syndrome. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> Have I lost it? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, maybe a little. All right. So at the end of the day, you had f four songs. Probably. You had a, And a photo. And a photo. Uh, yeah, more songs than that. We probably, probably only, we only rehearsed a few. Probably well, we did Modern time. Times, I remember. Yes. And we certainly did Radio Africa. Radio so Africa. Just said. Yeah. And the others? Sequel September. Yeah, yeah. We are doing Snowblind as well. Mm -hmm. We were doing Snowblind at the time. Yeah. That's right, because we've got the demo of that. Yeah. Okay. So, now you had these demos. You passed them on to the people in charge. What did they say? What happened with this demo? I can't remember, really. Um, well, eventually, then we did some gigs. Um, and this was somewhere in the summer or, or the spring. And, but the gigs weren't until... I think 1984, in, in January 1984. So we went yeah. and did gigs. Okay, small gigs, very small gigs. Well, extremely small in one case. <laughs> <laughs> the first one. Yeah. Okay, let me, let me see if they remember this. Do you remember the song Trouble Town? <laughs> oh, you do? Richard does. Richard does. See, this was a song we, we rehearsed. So yeah. the very first gig, I've told this story before, but... But it's a true story. It's not, it sounds like one of these cute stories, oh, you know, what happened, but it really did happen. We played a, in the Red Line in, in Gravesend, um, and we start with this song called Trouble Town, which, which actually starts with a synth, um, a, actually a sequence. Did I forget it? No, I don't, you did forget it. <laughs> it had a sequence. And before us was the local kind of heavy metal band. So the, the room had about 30 or 40 people in it for the band. And we came on, they, they were there, and we, we started Trouble Town. And literally... And when I say literally, I mean, you know, actually literally. Every, every As I was playing the riff. <laughs> yes, everyone got it walked out. But I was personally relieved because I was so nervous in front of people. It kind of suited me that there was no one listening, apart from the manager of the pub, who stayed and said he thought it was very good. So that was... And Troubletown actually never made, never made it much further. It was one of those venues where... They'd never had a synthesizer before. Mm, probably Any not. band with like keyboards yes. like that would be like... Yes, absolutely. They'd, they'd, cut your, they'd shred your tyres and mm. torture your band. I mean, it's just, it's just a heavy metal place. Fortunately, yeah. the Profit yeah. Five survived. See, stuff I remember. A gig later than that, could have been the second gig, our, Jeff and my A&R um, guy from, from Chapels, A&R, the guy in charge of us, yeah. he came to the gig and he listened to it and he said, I thought it was fantastic, except... That first song, Trouble Town. So that song was obviously doomed. So but what I can't, sorry, what yeah. I can't remember, there's a lot I can't remember, but um, did we, so we didn't do those gigs with Carol and Yona, or did we? Yes, we did, yeah. We did, okay, so they'd already come into... Yeah, so that there must have been other rehearsals, and it's true, I don't remember rehearsing with Carol and Yona, I don't remember okay. the rehearsals for that. Okay. Maybe you did that. The Chapel Studios, or your place, maybe you did it just... No, we, we did do some with you, I remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, we did. And, and we you were did. pushing them quite hard. We I did. remember they weren't totally over the moon, but yeah. um, but I can't remember the band getting together with I, them. I learned that from Jaffa. <laughs> you you <laughs> push people hard. No, I learned it from you. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but Jaffa, do you remember that gig in the pub? Do you remember God, that just as well? Do you know well? what? I really honestly don't. Okay. I, honestly, I, it's just ridiculous, I know, but I don't remember <laughs> It yeah. was obviously such a traumatic experience for Steve. Absolutely. It's implanted yes. in his memory. <laughs> yeah. 
I just remembered something about the first rehearsal. Ah, there you go. It's all going to come back, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. We, it, where it was, in this little uh, rehearsal studio, almost right next door to a BBC rehearsal studio. Was it? Yeah, where they rehearse BBC shows or dramas or whatever. And we went to the pub after our rehearsal, and in the pub, sitting over there, was Tommy Cooper. Really? Yeah. Really? Tommy Cooper was there with some other actors or manager or something, just sat there. Obviously, they'd been in the, in the BBC doing a wow. rehearsing a show. Did you go over to him? No. <laughs> to me, just like that. For a German listener, Tom Cooper at the time would have been one of the top British yeah, comedy stars. This is very obscure for your... Uh, well, this is not just for Germans. No, no, I know. This no, is for everyone, but, but, yeah... But, yeah. So after this rather traumatic uh, experience, yeah. <laughs> how did it go on for you? I mean, you played more gigs even that week and things got better, got more interesting? Um, I, I guess the first time we played five gigs, uh, when we all rehearsed with Yon and Cow, we did play five gigs, in, including the one. Um, and then I'm not sure, and then I'm really not sure what happened. Yeah. Um, until, and then Steve Greetham, actually the beta left the yeah. band. And then and Greg Harewood joined. That's so that, that band had changed then. In fact, also, when we began, actually, when we began, there was three singers, wasn't there? We had Dolly, um, and what's his name? Um, yeah. But she, but she wasn't very good, so I had to call her. <laughs> <laughs> I had to call oh. her up. And we, anyway. And, and then there's a, I, I can't remember what happened. Yeah, um, okay. Well, the next main thing that happened was um, I met this woman that knew Nigel Gray. Oh, Yes. Yes. And Nigel Gray, who was famous for having done the same kind offer for the police when they started, police, yes. he'd produced their first two albums, and he'd said, yeah, yeah. he'd heard their songs and said, OK, if you come down to my studio, I'll do a few tracks with you, I won't charge you any money, and I'll, and I'll let's see if we can get a deal with it. And if we get a deal, then you owe me whatever, points or something. Yeah. He did exactly the same thing for us. And we did... Um, what did we do? Radio America Africa, Guinness, Radio Africa, Seaport, Seaport September. September. That's right. And Snowblind because we got the we got the tape. I don't know. I always forget Snowblind. <laughs> but funnily enough, that uh, it's the studio which he had is actually very near where I live now in, in this town called Leatherhead, and I drive by it if I go to um, Majestic to stock up with wine. It's, it's right. <laughs> only it, it, it's now uh, a gym for ladies. All right. It used to be the kind of local community hall, co-op hall, and he he converted the, took a lease on the upper floor, made this little studio. And it's now, I don't know how, I don't know when it stopped being a studio, but it's now a, a gym. And I went there that day, I walked up the stairs, I thought, look, I know it's a, a ladies' gym, I'm not, I'm not, you know, kind of gate crash this, but can I just have a look through there, because that, this used to be a recording studio. Mm -hmm. And the woman at the desk said, yeah, she knew that. And I oh. said, oh, we, you know, made a record here a long time ago, and it, it was, um, oh. So where we once were, there were those women on the treadmills and all that. So, yeah. That's sweet. So he recorded probably, I think, two of your songs at his own expense. How did that go? I mean, was, was he happy? Well, with, Radio what, Africa is, is his recording. I mean, it might have been remixed, but it, it, that... Well, then, I, don't, I mean, I, I, I try and remember why we didn't carry on with Nigel Gray. Because yeah. I liked him a lot, but I think I think there's a few problems anyway. So, okay. but at the same time, around that time, we also got kind of got a record deal. Yes, with with um, Rock Rockin' Horse Records, because yeah. he the guy came to see us at the Mean Fiddler, um, and again I remember that gig because uh, my memory, huh? 
because Greg turned up late. So we started, we didn't have a bass player. And so we had to play a song. I think we might have played Snowblind with you playing the I, I can't remember. We, we had to wait and then Greg turned up because he, he was stuck in traffic or something. But nevertheless, uh, Jeff liked it, went away, got this record company set up. And they sort of completed like uh, uh, the work on on modern times. Yeah, so reckon, so once once the deal been signed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So then we go in the studio um, and do modern times. How many songs did you do for modern times? Or did you did you have to kind of argue with no. the record company because sometimes they have their own ideas about what the album is going to sound like? In this case, no, no. It was. I, I remember. I remember the meeting. Jeff Gilbert, the, the guy, very, very nice guy who, who ran the record company, used to go to this particular bar, kind of restaurant, I can't remember what it was, in the West End every night and drink champagne. <laughs> Even though he's a, he was a local Manchester lad and Manchester City fan, yes. he'd obviously thought, OK, I'm going to go up in the world here. So I went to see him. Actually, it was not Market Pizza Place, to be honest with you, but it had champagne. Kettner's. Kettner's, that's yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, God, I, you've got I, memory. I had champagne with him. Uh, okay. once as well. And I, I just went, I said, Jeff, these are the songs we want to do. We think we, the album should be called Modern Times. Mm -hmm. And he went, yeah, okay, let's do it. So 11 songs. He, he, uh, you and know, that was Rock, Rocking Horse Records. And that yeah. was Rocking Horse Records. And that's one of the reasons I'm quite sure the album did well, because basically we were just left alone to do what we wanted to do, really. Because there's no real producer, was there, at, no. that, at that point? The songs were good and we knew well, what no, we were doing. And, and there wasn't was some bloke... A uh, record company guy who's saying, "Oh, you don't want to do that one. You, you want to do this one." You go, "What?" You know. So, I mean, they, they, they are a problem. Record companies are a problem. <laughs> Sorry, but, I shouldn't say. Yeah, shouldn't say that. It might offend oh. possible listeners. But. Oh. <laughs> but you first recorded Radio Africa. Yeah. By yourself, you released well, it no, on, on, no, on that, your own that, label. That was recorded with Nigel Gray. How did that do? Because that was the first time round. It became a hit. The second time round. Oh, no, the fourth time. The fourth round. time, or third Something time? Like yeah, probably. I mean, we, 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 we put it out on our own label. Yes. With Eddie on the B side, and, mm -hmm. and Eddie we'd done as a, a demo, actually. Yeah. And then, then when Rocking Horse took it on, they put it out, and it didn't, it didn't do anything. Yeah. And okay, so maybe it was the third time, and it's only when we when Rocking Horse then got signed to Aristotle, taken over by Aristotle RCA, that he got put out. Mm -hmm. But the reason they did that is because a, a very famous DJ at the time, Jonathan King, who was again, very influential, he said... He was is, on TV and radio. Yeah, and he said, this is a hit. It, it's not been a hit, but it is a hit record. It's a hit song. Yeah. And so he put us on telly and so I, on, a, on a show. I can't remember what it was, but every fortnight, yes. the same video came up. And, and it got a lot of play on, on radio and then it became a hit. The Jonathan King thing was a chance meeting between him and Jeff on a plane. Jeff was going to the States or coming back and he happened to see him on the plane and they kind of vaguely, he vaguely knew him. And they were talking and he said, what, what, what about this Latin chord a lot then? It was a complete coincidence that he bumped into him and he said, oh, I'll put it, I've got a new show coming up, I'll put it on. So, yeah. Well, there you go. Unfortunately, Jonathan King's in jail now, so. <laughs> yeah. You know, the first time I met you was at uh, Chalfonson Grove. You were doing a TV show for the SSVC, the Services Sound and Vision Corporation, and you oh, were doing a show with Mark Page, who is in jail right now. Mark Page? He's, he's been in jail for, for, for the past, yeah, six months or so. For? Child oh, things, God. yes. And we also met Gary Glitzer. We've got, a <laughs> <laughs> we've got a whole litany of these people. <laughs> Can we cut all this out? <laughs> so is Mark Page a DJ in Germany? 
he was a DJ for BFBS, the British Forces Broadcasting oh, Service, and uh, he was doing okay. this little TV thing. He used to be a Radio 1 DJ on weekend oh, mornings, okay. 6 to 8, and, uh, and he did BFBS, the okay, British yeah, Forces yeah, Broadcasting that. Service, and the SSVC is like the television uh, section of it, and he was doing this little show which was recorded in Chelfenstone Grove within the, I don't know, it was some kind of barracks, and you were there. That's wow. where I met you for the very first really? time. Yeah. I remember very well, Christian. <laughs> no, I, I've never I forgotten hope. your face ever since. It's funny because we used to do quite a lot for them. And it, and it, I, which surprised me, given the politics, I was surprised the British Army was, was always inviting us. And then I remember when we played in Bielefeld once, yes. the first tour, it was packed full of squaddies. Yeah. In, and, and we came to do Eddie, and I began to introduce it, and I thought, oh... Oh dear, I've got to be careful what I say here. Um, but it, it was okay. But I, I, yeah, it was a bit strange. There's all these, all these soldiers. Don't mm -hmm. forget, it was British soldiers that got Attlee elected in 1945. Oh, okay. There's a historical. Yeah, but I'm not sure it's the same bunch of guys. So after Jonathan King sort yeah. of made it kind of big, the whole thing got started for you, didn't it? You, you, you were out there playing gigs going over to Germany mm. and uh, playing to very nice crowds, uh, as far really, as I remember. It really took off in Germany, I yeah. have to say, right from the start. Yeah. Thank you, Germany. <laughs> but it, 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 it was very strange, though, because, in, I mean, Jeff had actually, unfortunately, left the band by then. But we, so we did a, we did a tour in, in England, probably about 25 dates. This is in, I think, 85, the, the autumn and December of 85. Yeah. Going around, staying in hotels in crew all the time, playing maybe to 40 or 50 people at Sunderland, Polly, and all this, this kind of stuff. You know, playing okay. You know, it was okay. And then we Radio After becomes a hit. And then we turn up at Sunderland, Polly. I remember this. Walk out, there's about 1,000 people there. You think, what the hell's going on here? And not playing any better, but just going down a storm, because you, you suddenly realise if you are the, the the you know the thing of the moment, that you get away with anything. I'm not saying we were, we were terrible, yes, but only we're as good as we became. Mm -hmm. But it, it's it's incredible. You can get away with stuff. I mean, I'll, you know, I'm now singing Radio Africa out of tune every night, but yeah, they loved it, kind of thing. <laughs> no, it's true. I, I, it really it stuck. It really it really stuck with me that honestly, at the moment you can't do anything wrong. However, you, know, you just can't do anything wrong because you're the hot thing, and we were hot, particularly then in Germany for six months. Yeah, you know, so that was a it was a bit of a culture shock playing to that many people. So how did it turn out in 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 in, in the UK? And did they did when did things improve there? Well, the, no, the, that I'm, I'm referring to Sunderland Polytechnic, which was in the UK. Yeah. Well, yeah, the UK was good. We you know play the town and country club and everything, but we had a, we did have a big. A big setback because we had a drummer called Dave Charles, who we rehearsed with and did that first tour in Germany. It was very successful and fantastic, but he was a slightly strange guy. He he wasn't very communicative. Mm -hmm. And on 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 the night of the the the, the British tour, which is basically sold out, also at the end of the, the final rehearsal in a, in a big it was a it was a, um, a what do you call it a, a dress rehearsal or all, all the production production rehearsal. It was all there, and I went to him. I said, oh, the tour manager's got your PDs, you know, your expenses for this tour. And he went, no, I'm not doing it, mate. Mm. Said, Excuse me? No, I'm not doing it. I couldn't believe it. I thought he was joking. And he just, that night, he just said, no, I don't want to do it. Because he'd fallen out with the bass player, with Greg, for some reason. But he wouldn't really explain, but he was moaning about Greg quite a lot. Yeah. And he, so he had to cancel the tour, which is a huge, and it did kind of set us back. Because then all those gigs were, well, some of them were cancelled. 
and later ones. And we got Richie. We rang Richie up, who was the original drummer. He's now back with us for this tour. And said, look, can you, can you do this? And he came and we, we improvised a few rehearsals and we did it. But I, and it was it was quite good, but it had taken the the wind the wind out of our sails a little bit, and then we had to audition for another drummer because Richie could only only stand in and stuff. So it was a bit of a well, it was a problem, mm -hmm. and not very professional part of Dave Charles, <laughs> I don't think. We bumped into him some time later in the Montreux Jazz Festival, didn't we? You were playing there with oh yeah, he was with Terence Trent Darby. Terence Trent Darby was playing for him, and we, we thought, oh. Hi, Dave. You know, hello. You know, it was all a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but we took his drum, to be honest with you. We, were, we took revenge by taking drums on that tour, so he didn't have any drums. <laughs> but well, they, they, they were getting packed, packed into the van that night. Yeah. I mean, sorry, Dave. And then we played somewhere in London, and he came. Can I have my drums back, please? <laughs> <laughs> so we gave them to him. So we do get a, a good impression of, of how the whole thing started. You recorded the album in the same studio as Manfred Mann. It was Manfred Mann's studio, actually. It was he Manfred Mann's studio. Oh, he co-owned it, yeah. He was kind of familiar with one of your songs. <laughs> the song no I've one liked. Chris, I've told Christian this story already, so... <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was nice. He, very down-to-earth guy, Manfred. Yeah. A bit kind of scatty. Yeah. Well, yes, OK, going back to this song, Trouble Town. <laughs> I don't know why... The only bad song the in the repertoire song. And also, time. I don't know how as, he heard it, because it was no longer in, in our repertoire. And one day he said, I'd like to do this song, you know. And I think, oh, man, for man's going to do one of my songs. Amazing. <laughs> so we, we went into the other, into a room, actually, and I, I, I was trying to play it to him. And he just couldn't get it. I mean, he, he was, how does that go again? And I, it's this, and I don't have the most complicated chords, as these guys will tell you. It's probably got three chords. Yeah. And he just couldn't get it. And he said, hmm... I'm not sure about this anymore, and he didn't do it. So there's my summer house in Spain gone once again. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the idea of, but again, it's slightly strange, isn't it? Because quite, you know, to be, to even to know Manfred Mann, someone who, yeah. had, you know, was a, an icon in the 60s, and I'm me, and I'm talking to Manfred Mann doing one. I mean, it, it is a bit unreal. It, it didn't feel totally yeah. real. It's just weird. Manfred Mann, this is actual... Manfred Mann and touch Manfred Mann. Yeah. You know? I could tell you a very boring musical story, but this is the only thing I remember okay, about, about the Manfred Mann thing. When we first walked into the studio to record, they were recording a Hyatt in in their <laughs> studio section. Oh, yes. And so they were, you know, the usual going, all, all you could hear was a ch -ch 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 Okay. So then we, we started our recording. Yeah. They were still recording that Hyatt. <laughs> By the time we'd finished the album. So the fact that you've got your own studio means that you can just sit there and record a single hire all day long and just get it absolutely perfect. Which, of course, it wasn't. You can erase that, but... No, Are you crazy? We love it. Yeah. I, I remember... The workhouse. The workhouse. It was workhouse. Yeah, yeah. didn't say it. Oh, oh sorry. What I remember about him was um, practising his putting in the, in the sort of foyer. Yeah, little potting, golf potting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is this while we're recording the Hyatts? <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of eccentric. Yeah, I wonder what he's doing because he, he he doesn't play with the Manfred Mann band anymore, does he? He's not mm. in the band anymore. So what what has become of Trouble Town? Does anyone know? Any one of the Latin lovers. Oh, I think Steve's going to have to recall, play it. I, can't, I, I, I actually cannot remember it. I, I just said it was. It was a song about the the. the oh, we could find the, it. The Liverpool riots yeah, in nineteen. I don't remember that much. I can't and um, it was. It was a kind of. 
based on the uh, Spr- Springsteen. Well, I can't remember which Thunder Thunder Road. I, I can't remember which one. Um, that, that's that's all I really remember about it. But it's actually, the first probably the, in in that group of songs for that first album. Yes. Uh, when that was there, well, no, I wrote that one and and a, a song called Roaring Silent. The, the two that were in in the middle of yeah. all Mike Jones's songs. Yeah. Lyrics. Trouble Town was one of your lyrics. Yes, it was my lyric. Trouble Town is heading for a bang was the chorus. Trouble Town is heading for a bang. Oh. Yeah, Mike, you want to take <laughs> if you want to run with that lyric. <laughs> Do you have the lyrics written down somewhere? I, I haven't got them anymore. <laughs> I used to keep stuff. I used to keep everything, yeah. but I, I've, I've kind of lost it. But then you've moved several times and... Yeah. So Although we I've, would have done a demo of that, would we, somewhere? I don't know. No, we didn't. I, I, I did a, a Portitude demo of it. Okay. I'll tell you what, I have found some lyrics. I've, I found some of Mike's original yes. handwritten lyrics. Yeah. Um, I've just found America Beginners. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to actually include it in the, in the little brochure we're producing for this tour. Yes. Because it's actually got my chords on it. And it's also got, at the top, it's got some settings on a Porter Studio. I must have recorded it. So it's got the you know, four circles with, with the, uh, representing the oh, dials and, yeah. then, and then things where they should have been if I wanted to go back. You know I've got a port studio now, don't you? Have you? Yeah. So if you ever find the tape. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Well, we, we could ask Karen. Because <laughs> Karen, I remember from one of the concerts, she's got demos that you no longer were in possession of. Karen, you got you got early Latin Quarter stuff Steve doesn't even have anymore. But I have now because she gave it to me. It's not... It wasn't me. It was um, it, it was Greg who's running the website. OK. Because I think Steve passed a lot of the original demos on to him. Did I? You did. Uh, he's got quite a few... I'm sure Mike Jones didn't do it. PC. Possibly. I, that's the information I haven't got. Some things he still has on his PC. What did I haven't seen yet? Uh, we have... He recorded... He bought himself a special machine as well that... To, these were little square tapes, something. They're called cassettes. So he, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like a dat, like, like a dat cassette. Oh, like yeah. Oh, yeah. So he bought himself a machine like that, and he has a couple of those. You should uh, tell him I've got I've got a dat machine if he wants to. Yeah, if he could send them, <laughs> right, that'd yes. be very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See. Well, I remember concert, and, and Karen was credited for this, and you mentioned, so there's stuff I, I, I don't have anymore, but Karen gave it to us because yeah. she, she, she has it all at home. N- that's, I think, only because uh, Greg, who's running the website, he initially, when he got interested into the band, realised there wasn't a website. There was one in Germany, which he thought was very good at the time, and and so he started, I yeah, think, yeah, to collect yeah. a lot of the stuff in information and music, and and so sometimes one of the band members would pass it on to him just to keep hold of it. Really? And so mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the band members, who's that? It wasn't me. <laughs> but the, the the last album, releasing That's, the sheep, yeah, some number of the songs are there. Uh, thanks to Karen and 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 Greg, because they had these demos. Reminded me, like Night School, Your Last Show, yeah, those, those songs. And only you, remember you, because you didn't of the, have those demos anymore. I don't have any of the demos. <laughs> yeah, I, because yeah. You, you would send things over um, in letters. Yeah, so I've uh, really? in the very beginning, 
but you moved a few times and so yeah, I think you didn't always hold on to things yeah. and you don't know, didn't always keep your CDs either. But isn't that amazing? I mean, it speaks for the kind of relationship that you've always had with, with your fans. <laughs> so, or with material. Yeah, or <laughs> with material. <laughs> it's funny, actually, that I've just moved and I was clearing out a basement. It's a house I've moved back to, but I used to live there. And in the cellar, I was clearing it out and I found this huge box. And it was all my, uh, all my LPs. And they're all soaking wet, destroyed, every single one. So I had to put them in, take them to the tip. Oh. No, I don't look after things that well. There's one thing about coincidence. Latin Quarter is also the story of great coincidences happening, just like the story Steve, <laughs> and he's curious what's coming out. The story, how you got in touch with Nigel Gray. Oh, yes. Um, first of all, how he got to hear the demos that you were recording, and, and Richard can tell the story I there. just remembered... You have to come close. Yes. To I, I just remembered in the... the uh, I mentioned that I met this woman who knew Nigel Gray, but how we met her was very, very interesting. My daughter was born at the same time as son was born, and my wife and this woman met in the antenatal classes uh, prior to going, having their babies in this hospital. And I went along once or twice to the antenatal classes and saw all these women lying on the floor doing these exercises and stuff, and I was just trying to look like a, like a good partner, you know, like a supportive male. And um, this woman, Susie Greening, came up to me in a break and she said, um, you're a musician, aren't you? And I said, uh, yeah, as it happens, I am. How, how do you know that? She said, well, because you're here, you're not at work. Like, like every, everybody else's husbands have like got a job, you know. So I was there. I said, "Yeah, that's very, very perceptive." So we got talking, and what you know, what you do, you're in a band, all that. We got talking, and um, apart from that, subsequently their babies were born the same day, and they were in the same ward, like next to each other, like a couple of weeks later, whenever it was. And so she took an interest, and as I, I played it, I gave her tape of something and she thought this is really great she said oh look I, I know these I know some people actually she knew Jeff in, 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 from a previous life she'd been involved in the music business herself yeah she knew Nigel Gray she knew all the, so the people in the police it's just, anyway anyway it's a, it's a weird coincidence yeah, but again yeah. it's very like Jeff meeting um, Jonathan King on the plane Mm -hmm. It's just so weird how these things happen. This is what life's like. It's just random. Yeah. Very random. Yeah. There, there is no plan, by the way. Yeah, there is no plan, no coincidences. It's just fate. Absolutely. So we've got a good impression on how the whole thing started. In part two, we are going to talk about the individual songs and the making of modern times. Okay, cool. <laughs>